I'm worn out. She's worn out. I'm worn out. She's worn out. I'm so sick and tired of working. Incoming. I'm worn out. Incoming. No, no, coming now. Oh, where am I? You washed up. Sorry. Welcome to the island of discarded women, my friend. I used to be somebody. Are you that woman on the radio? Your island job is peladora de papas. Uh, sorry, what? Potato peeler. 87% match for uh, your skills. Okay, that's not... Anyway, what is the second best match then? Host of the Island Podcast. Are you kidding me? No, no, see, that's me. That, that's perfect for me. Autumn roses, so beautiful and sad. The diamonds of heaven will surely drive us mad. Like autumn roses, so beautiful and sad, the diamonds of heaven will surely drive us mad. End of the world, act four, scene 17. Young climate scientist Dr. Alicia Day is working on a speech she is set to deliver the next day at Jane Fonda's weekly Fire Drill Fridays protest in D.C. Dr. Alicia Day has been asked to share her extensive findings on how the climate crisis disproportionately affects women. And with women at the forefront, change can happen. She knows her speech will be controversial, but she also knows that by staying silent, she becomes complicit. Armed with the truth, she writes, To hell with this wet, wet raining. It'll never set me free. Suddenly, she hears a light thud and whispering outside her hotel room, her heart pounding. She wonders to herself, Is someone out there? No, I must be hearing things. Hearing nothing more than the ticking of a clock. Tick, tock, tick, tock. She continues working on her speech. To hell with this wet, wet raining ill. Again, she hears a thud, much louder this time. Someone must be out there. Rising from her laptop, she slowly walks to the door and unlatches the deadbolt. And as she's about to turn the knob, the door bursts open, and tumbling into the room are three uninvited guests. Oh, All puppets of various styles and genres. Oh, we're in! Yay! Yeah. Oh, hello. Hello. The leader is a Republican puppet, which Dr. Alicia Day has encountered before. He has a worn, overly stuffed, white athletic sock with pasted-on googly eyes, one of which is missing. Hello! He is accompanied by two friends, a gray and pink woven finger puppet in the shape of a rhino or a unicorn. It's hard to tell. Hello! And a marionette-style puppet clad in a non-nation-specific military uniform with an ominous frozen smile and orange strings attached to his arms, legs, and jaw. Hello. Unfortunately, in the tumble, all three puppets have become entangled in the marionette's orange strings. No, oh, get off of me! Excuse me. Tighten up, man. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, well, there's no excuse for you. <laughs> that's, that's very good. That was really good. What on earth are you doing breaking into my room? My hotel room? Well, uh, well climate change is a hoax. You know, Mr. Republican Puppet, mm-hmm. 
If you stop lying, maybe you could grow up and be a real boy. Ooh. Oh, she's a precocious one. Watch her. She's crafty. Oh, I bet she's Swedish. Can we order pizza now? <laughs> Why are you here? I'm assuming it's not for pizza. Well, ki- kind of. We're, we're making a statement. And resisting. And colluding. No, we're not colluding. Not, no, we're not colluding. Our job Sorry. as Republican puppets is to obstruct whatever you are doing. Right. So what are you doing? I'm writing a speech, laying out a doable plan for approaching the climate change crisis. Oh, she's writing a speech. She's writing a speech. Yes, I am. And I'm going to deliver the speech at a public rally. Yo, she's going to deliver a speech. She's going to deliver a speech. She's a socialist. She's a loser. She's a whistleblower. Are you the whistleblower? Do you guys ever actually listen to yourselves? We demand transparency! We demand to add to the speech. We demand pizza! Okay, what would you add to the speech? Facts. Okay, which facts? The world is 6,000 years old! It is not. It Mm -hmm. says so in the Bible. It does not. I thought that's what you said. No, I didn't say the Bible. I said the flannel graph in my Sunday school. (laughs) Climate change is a hoax. We know that. And a witch hunt. Yes. And you're a fake scientist because you're a girl. Go, she's a girl. She's a girl. Yes. I am a young woman. A young woman who was handed a book in high school by the librarian who thought it might interest me. The book was about female scientists. That book was filled with names like Ada Lovelace and Marie Curie and Katherine Johnson and Hedy Lamarr. Whoa, Hedy Lamarr! Yes. In the 1940s, Hedy Lamarr invented a radio frequency hopping technology for torpedoes, which is still used today for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Well, who knew about that? I I was so inspired by the women in the book. So I enrolled in a science class one of the only girls in the class, and we learned about space and time. Mm. And then I took more science classes and learned about biology and chemistry, Mm. and I fell for science, and I excelled in my studies. Mm. And the more I learned, the more I felt alive and connected to every living thing on this planet. Mm. This universe is magnificent. Look at the photos from the Hubble telescope. Mm. It is a field of wonder. If that doesn't give you the chills, you're not really alive. Um, I don't think we actually are alive. But there's still time. We all live here on this planet. Can't we agree to protect it for all of our sakes? You should be proud of young people, young women, for picking up this burden and advancing the cause of protecting this planet for everyone. The air, the water, the planets, the animals. And the oil! Don't forget the oil! Touching! In the morning, in the evening, drill, baby, drill. Poles are leaking, the coasts are sinking, Uh money's in the till. Those climate scientists... Who work in D.C. 
had to be muzzled yeah. and set back a century, so we... We gotta have coal, yeah. uh-huh. lots and lots and lots of coal, <laughs> though the odds are saying solar and wind, but that doesn't get us vote. Roll back protection. Ooh, yeah. We don't need to breathe every day. No, no, no. Roll back protection. Yeah. It's from Icky Obama anyway. Yep. Get out! Get out! Oh, but we what? haven't done our dance break yet. No. Get out. Okay, okay, okay. All right, out! Dr. Alicia Day watches as the three puppets scramble to leave, still tangled in orange strings. When they are finally out of sight, she shuts the door, sighs, and resumes work on her speech. The speech that will save the world and get her arrested with Jane Fonda. I'm worn out. She's worn out. I'm worn out. She's worn out. I'm so sick and tired of working. I'm worn out. She's worn out. I'm worn out. She's worn out. For your love, and it's hot, and it's hurting. The diamonds of heaven. They will shine down on me To hell with this wet, wet raining It'll never set me free Like autumn roses So beautiful and sad The diamonds of heaven will surely drive us In 1961, I was 12 years old and in seventh grade, and the most popular TV show among my friends was Dr. Kildare, a drama about a handsome doctor in his first year of residency at an urban hospital. Everyone I knew fell in love with Richard Chamberlain as young Dr. Kildare, and soon Dr. Kildare's shirts were selling all over the country. They were basically a white collarless shirt with buttons at the shoulder, Anyway, kids started wearing them to school. It was the cool thing to do, and I desperately wanted one, mainly because I was excited to think of myself as a doctor someday. But my mother, who was my champion in so many ways, said no. Mother was a fashionista and kept a close eye on the wardrobe of everyone in our family. She was always blunt in her assessment of what we could and should wear. No Dr. Kildare shirt for me. She explained, It wouldn't flatter you, honey. You're short and plump. You need something a bit more tailored. You don't want to feel self-conscious. What a message. Don't be a doctor, Nancy. The uniform will make you look fat. As it turned out, one of the boys in my class, his name was Jeff, had a crush on me. And he had a Dr. Kildare shirt. He learned that I wanted one, so he offered to let me wear his every day at school. He would wear it to school over another shirt and then take it off and let me put it on over my dress. 
And then at the end of the day, I gave it back to him. And he wore it home, and then he played football with his buddies in it. And then he rode his bike with it on, and he ate dinner with it on, and he wrestled with his dog with it on. And then he'd come back to school the next day and give it back to me. But by the end of one week, the still unwashed shirt was a bit more than I could stand. So I thanked him, and I told him he was the kindest boy I had ever known, and he could have his shirt back forever. And I told him that I might consider going on a date with him someday when I was older if my parents said it was okay. He was happy. I was happy. I'd gotten to wear a Dr. Kildare shirt. I took every science and math class offered at my high school, and I excelled. But there was never any encouragement to continue with science in college, let alone as a career. Not for my guidance counselor, not for my teachers, not for my parents who wanted me to be an elementary school teacher because you get summers off to spend with your children. But passions don't die if they're nurtured from within. And now, at the age of 70, I'm studying physics. In my mind, I see myself as a scientist, and it's a great look on me. You know, I am encouraged to get a good education, as high as possible. PhD, MD, double certified, and that's all in one go. And a good career, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, pharmacist, biologist, business. Basically anything that ends with ist and s, but not actress. My family always emphasized the importance of getting education and a good career. Probably because they came to this country as refugees and they want me to have a good life. However, it is interesting how Hmong woman can be viewed if she only focuses on her career. Her career and kids have to be balanced. If the woman is too ambitious or makes more than the man, the man is put down from his family, community, and this, as a result, affects his relationship with the woman. Because, well, most Hmong men have pride issues. If she solely focuses on her career and does not settle down, it's as if she's not fulfilling her life as a woman. Why isn't she married? Why doesn't she have kids? Oh, she must be too good to be with anyone. It doesn't matter how smart she is. She must be like this and like that. That's why she's single. She must be a lesbian. And the comment I've heard most about ambitious women is, a smart woman is an argumentative woman. And frankly, most men just don't like that. So, are there restrictions as to what a Hmong woman can do and be career-wise? No, but there are strings attached. So, remember Julie Briskman, the woman riding her bicycle who famously flipped off the president's motorcade in a viral 2017 photo and got fired from her job because of it? Well, on November 5th, she won a seat on the Loudoun County, Virginia, Board of Supervisors. I know. Yes, it is her first stint in public office. The newest member of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors is brought to you by Flip'em the Bird. When you can't find the words, let your gloves say it for you. Shop their fingerless gloves and hats at flipemthebird.com. When there's no words, flip on the bird. Bicycle and motorcade not included. Don't drop 
delivery. Your t-shirts are here, Sue. Whoa, 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 whoa. The t-shirts are here already? Yeah, it's a huge box. How oh. many did you order? Well, one for everyone on the island. Oh. I mean, for our WW Shush protest march. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Let's... This is exciting. Oh, my yeah. God. Boy, there's a lot of them here. Okay. Oh, that yellow is nice. Yes, thank you. I picked it out. Thank you very uh, Wait. What? What? WWW Shush. Okay. That's what's printed on the t-shirts. WWW Shush. Right. So three, 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 three W's. It's supposed to be two. When women show up, shit happens. Uh, someone must have autocorrected. Uh, or they thought it was a website. Oh, uh, okay. well, what are we going to do? Uh, all right, okay, okay, okay. Uh, okay, I've got hundreds of these shirts. So we, we, we could tweak the name, all right? Yeah, 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 yeah that name. means. Uh, okay, uh, when uh, wonderful women show up, shit happens. Or, or, or when, when woke women show woke, up, that, uh, shit happens. Okay, okay, or, or wonder when women show up then shit happens. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. why won't women show up to make shit happen? Or, or why won't women just shut up? Yeah, the shirts are going back. Yeah, send them back. Yeah, they're going back. I'm sending them back. Yeah, yeah. So I was hired to be a fortune teller for a big corporate Christmas party. I'm sorry, actually I was hired to be a fake fortune teller. So the guy who called thought it would be really, really funny if I made up crazy fortunes at this cocktail party in front of this big group of people before their big holiday dinner. Sounded like fun, money was good, so I said yes, all right. And I worked up a couple of bits that I could improvise around. Um, I made up a name, Crystal Ball, and uh, thank you, and uh, a fortune teller outfit, and a voice, you know, sort of a voice to go with it. And uh, I show up that night and the guy has made this big fancy booth that looks, you know, really legit and it says, Crystal Ball Tells All. Okay, here we go. So first person in line, she comes up and I say, okay, you need to look into my eyes. Do you look in my eyes? You have very, very dark brown hair. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. And I think you've always had really, really dark brown hair. And I'm getting a signal, yes, I'm getting a signal, that you will always have very dark brown hair. It's defying logic and science, but that's the truth. Funny enough, she laughs. Okay, moving on. Second person in line, I get my deck of cards out. So far, so good. I tell her, I'm going to randomly pick a card, okay? And the card that I pick is going to be very, very significant in your life, all right? So I shuffle the cards, and I pick a six, and she says, actually, you know, that's funny that you picked a six because sixes are my number. Uh, anything important or significant in my life has happened on, like, the sixth of a month. So the six is really important. So what is it saying to you, the significance of the six? Yeah, uh, okay. Um, well, it's, it's a six. <laughs> Better than a five. You know, if life is a one to ten scale and five is the middle, let's say it's the norm, let's say it's the status quo, well, this is the six. So you're obviously stepping away from the five. You're stepping away from the norm. You're stepping away from a rut. Maybe you're in a rut. Maybe you're stuck in the middle and you're trying to get out. You're trying to get to that ten. And, and you're getting there. It, it's slow. You're only at the six. There's still the seven, eight, nine to go. <laughs> But you're persistent, you'll make it. And I stop improvising about the number six for just a second to look at her and realize that she has started to cry. And she says, I can't believe you said that. 
I have been in such a rut these days and I've been hoping for something to happen and wishing for it to happen, but it just doesn't feel like it's happening fast enough. And now you're saying it's supposed to be gradual, that maybe I'm just supposed to be more patient. And the fact that you picked the number six, I got married on the sixth. My husband died on the sixth. It's such a special number. I just can't believe this. Just, it just, thank you so much. Can I give you a hug? Okay, what just happened there? Uh, and suddenly the tone of the party has changed completely. The loud sort of laughter and chatter has stopped dead. And no matter what I say or do, everyone is taking me seriously. I try to introduce different things. But no, 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 they want the cards. Do the cards. What's my significant number? What's my number? And I can't seem to figure out how to tell them that I'm fake, guys. I'm making this up. It's all a thing. Crystal ball is not my real name. I'm a fake fortune teller. Supposed to be a joke. But I'm stuck. I am literally trapped in my own parody. And I still have an hour to go. I stumble, however, on an opportunity to confess when a guy says to me, oh, yeah, are you kidding me? And I say, yes. Yes, actually, I am kidding you. I'm actually, you got it. That's, so sorry. You know, that's it. I'm, you got me, you called it. And he says, yeah, 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 right. So anyway, um, you picked a jack, and then you picked an ace, and then you said something about the missing king and queen. And I said, uh, he goes, uh, I'm the jack, right? I go, yes, right, you're the jack, and I'm trying to be an ace, like I'm trying to be the best I can be, right. So the missing king and queen are, they are maybe your parents, and maybe you are trying to gain their approval for something, you're trying to get them to understand that you want to make a big step, and he goes, to get married? Uh, oh my God, he goes, I can't believe you said that. I cannot believe you said that. I didn't even think of that till right now. Yes, I have been waiting for my parents' approval to ask my girlfriend to get married, and I don't need their approval. I mean, I'm in my 30s. I can just ask her to get married. Where is she? She's here. Oh, my God, i got to find her. Oh, God, you nailed it. Boy, did you nail that. And I'm thinking to myself, i got to lose the cards. Okay, so the line to my booth is now really, really long, and the corporate... The corporate guy who hired me comes bouncing up and he's like, wow, look how popular you are. I knew you'd be good. I knew. And I pull him aside and go, no, 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 look at me. You got to look at me. Just, I'll be right with you folks, okay, just a second. No, they're taking me seriously, okay? You got to stop this. You got, they're, they're listening to everything I say. They're believing it all. They're, they're changing their lives. They're proposing. You, you got to stop this. I'm dying up here. You got to stop this. But he doesn't hear any of that. And he just says, I knew you would be good. Keep up the good work. And I still have 50 people in line. And I have no idea how to handle this situation. I said, oh, hey, hey, how about um, uh, uh, palm reading? Okay, palm reading sounds good. So I decide this will give, this will reveal my lie, because I know jack shit about palms. <laughs> so the first woman steps up, and she has this really, really severe line down the middle, like this cut, like this cavern canyon almost down the middle of her hand it's cutting through her all her other lines and and so I say um okay that one of them is your love line and the other one's your lifeline and she's like well which one it doesn't matter anyway and then um and this one and she said well what is that line that cuts through the middle and I said that's your career line 
That's your opportunity line, and it's cutting through the middle of all those lines. So really, it looks like midway through your life, you're probably going to make a major change in your job or your career, and it must be a really big deal because it's really deep and really, really, you know, cavernous. And so it must be, you know, probably predestined because it looks like it's been there for a while and is really, really deep. And she stops and she says, "Oh my God, honey, where's my husband? Honey, you are not going to believe what she just said. Tell him, tell him what you just said. No, no, I'll tell him, I'll tell him, I'll tell him. <laughs> honey, she just said." that I'm gonna make a major career change midway through my life. And then she tells me, okay, I just had my fourth interview today for this dream job. It's a job of a lifetime. And I'm just, I, I, it's such a perfect fit for me that I am so afraid that I might actually get it because it would just, I don't know if I'm ready for it. It, it, it would totally, totally change my life. But honey, if it's predestined, I think I should take the job. I think I should take the job. Honey, I'm gonna take that damn job. Get some champagne right now. I got to and he says, honey, they haven't actually offered you the job yet. And she goes, no, but they almost have. I mean, four interviews. I mean, obviously, they're very interested. I think I'm standing in the way. They're sensing my hesitation. But now she's saying I should just take it. I, I'm not saying that. No, she did. She just said it's predestined that I should take the job. Oh, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this job. I'm so excited. It's gonna, let's just do this thing. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she's hugging me, and she's hugging her husband, and I'm silently screaming, help me. Help me, please. And then, and then, and then a miracle happened. The dinner bell rings. The cocktail party is over. Everyone is supposed to take their seats in the main ballroom. It's over, and I am free. But no, there are still 20 people in line. And by God, they want to have their fortunes told before they leave. And I try to convince them, no, 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 no. Listen, it's time for your holiday dinner. It's time for you to take your seats. No, one guy yells, no. I've been in this line for 30 minutes, ma'am. I'm not leaving until I get my fortune told. Oh, we're mamming now? That's what we're doing? We're mamming now? This line has turned into a mam-calling angry mom? And I am so close, I am this close to jumping up on my seat and saying, I'm fake, okay? I'm fake. I don't have a clue of what I'm doing. This is supposed to be a big joke. I'm sorry that all you people are so freaking gullible that you have listened to everything I've said, everything I've made out of thin air, and that you have believed all of it. But I don't say that. <laughs> Instead, I say, well, I'm going to be in big, big trouble if you don't take your seats now and go have your dinner. So I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. i got to stop. And right then, a second dinner bell rings with an announcement telling everyone to please take their seats now. And they leave. And I'm free. Sort of. So I come home, and I am totally confused. What happened? What did I, how did this get out of hand? What is, anyway, I try to breathe through the whole thing. I try to just let it go. I try to get some sleep. And the next morning, the phone rings. Hi, I'm throwing a big holiday party at our Lake Minnetonka home. <laughs> and I was wondering if you'd be available to come and read fortunes. A friend of mine was at the IDS banquet last night and said, you were just terrific. <laughs> So I'm hoping you be, I go, so I'm sorry, what's the date? The date? Oh, no, I can't do that. I'm so sorry, I can't do that. In fact, I'm not telling fortunes anymore. I, um, I, I decided to move on. I said to do something different and actually go back to acting. I took my own fortune and said, go back to acting. Go back to pretending people that you're not. And so I'm so sorry, I can't do your party, but I'm sure it'll be a fun party. And there's other people who tell fortunes and have a happy Christmas and goodbye. And I hung up. And while trying to take a cleansing walk later that day around the lake, 
a friend says to me, you know, maybe, maybe you were just subliminally picking up on what these people needed to hear. I mean, maybe you were actually kind of reading, you know, reading some sort of need that they were, that they were having. I mean, without knowing it. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty intuitive. You know, you may be more intuitive than you think. And I said, shut up. <laughs> Sue. Yes. <laughs> I have a story about fortune telling too. No. Oh no, you I do. I do. I do. Well, I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. I was living in New York City and I went home to Pennsylvania for uh, a long weekend to spend some time with my parents. So I arrived on a Friday afternoon and I no sooner arrived than my mother came into my bedroom, threw herself on the bed and cried, your father and I haven't had sex for three months. <laughs> and then she started sobbing. I don't think he loves me anymore. And I thought, ooh. I mean, do I have to know this? But I knew she was really upset. And so eventually what came out was that my father was in a state of depression. He, he was worried about dying. He was turning 50 in three months. And because his grandfather had died at 49 and his father had died young, he was beginning to fear that this was his last three months of life. Mm. Uh, so uh, that evening, my father and I were having a cocktail before dinner and mother was in the kitchen and I was alone with him and I said, <clears throat> Dad, I, I, uh, did I tell you that I recently learned how to read palms? <laughs> I hadn't. And uh, as it turns out, I'm really good at it. And uh, so he, he looked at me with a little bit of interest and um, I said, can, can, I, can I read yours? And so he offered me his palm. And so I looked at it and I said, well, see, there's your marriage line. You're married. And uh, see these little four lines here? There's our, your four kids. Yep. And uh, you, there, see this mound at the base of your finger? Very successful in business. You've been very successful. And athletic, athletic, that, that's this thing over here. And um, uh, heartline, your heartline is just so solid and it's because you're so loyal and that's why you have so many friends. And then I finally had worked my way to his lifeline. So I looked at it and I said, wow, Daddy, you have this solid, long lifeline with no breaks except that little one at the beginning. Did you break something as a kid? He goes, yeah, I broke my arm. I broke my arm. I said, wow, well, that's the only thing you're going to have happen because it's like solid from that point on. You're going to have a really long, healthy life and die at 89. Well, Dad was a new man immediately after that in every way because the next morning, Mother was singing, I could have danced all night while she made breakfast. <laughs> and all was well again. But by the way, my father lived a long and healthy life and died at 89. Oh. No. Are you serious? I cross my heart. Okay, so, so why, why do we believe all of this? I think for me, I think for me, the title of fortune teller was enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just predisposed to believe anything and everything I said because they assumed I knew because of the title. I mean, what? But right? that's a big responsibility. I know, Sue. I know. But I guess if I, whatever I said made them feel better, I guess it's okay, ultimately, right? All right, all yeah. right. But this is what I've been thinking ever since. I, I think about my dad, and it, you know, it made him feel better 
when I assured him that he would live to be 89 rather than 49. Yeah. But what if he was really meant to, to live to be 99? And because I told him he would die at 89, he gave up that year and willed himself to die. Well, you just could have told him you made it up. How? He was dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, never mind. Did you ever read another poem? Oh, God, no. Did you? No. Yeah, no. I'll read yours if you read mine. Okay, how'd you know that's about the mounds? Oh, I just came to me. Okay, well, I have a mound right here. What does it say? Oh, wait a minute. I have to, I have to look at it. Hang my soul, hang it on the line, clean as a whistle and shiny as a dime. Hang my soul, hang it in the sun, show the world. The stain is gone Hidden beaches Unnamed land This world ain't old enough To understand That the hands that sin Oh, are the that pray a little bitty bleach goes a long long way hang my soul hang it on the line clean as a whistle and shiny you're listening to the roar of the female humans please welcome my guest for the conversation Kim Inslee hey Kim I love listening to Sue Scott and all of these women. They're oh. just amazing. So Kim, 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 Sue, Kim. Sue, Sue, uh, Okay, so up until very recently, you've spent most of your working life in TV broadcasting. Yes. Like, since you were a small child. I was a very small child. Yes. I started as an infant yes. and had a more than 30-year career in television. Right. That's amazing. She's just 31 right now. Right. So anyway. <laughs> And so from uh, 1993 to 2017, you were the morning anchor at CARE 11, the mm -hmm. NBC affiliate here in the area. Uh, but yeah. you're not a native Minnesotan? No, no. I, I have a, a windy path. Mm -hmm. I um, was born in Arizona, and I spent my formative years until I was 18 in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Went to college there for a couple of years. Went to the University of Texas, graduated from there. Hook them horns! Oh, that's where all the Longhorns in the Yeah, crowd? the Texas okay. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I worked in California. I worked in Oregon and then got the job out here. Okay, so you're working for a station in Sacramento, California. Yeah. And you get a call. I did. 
it's rare in TV that you get a call to do anything. You grow up in TV and you always hear there are 10 people in line who want your job and if you don't like it, I'll hire one of them for less, right? Um, and so to have a TV station call and express an interest was unusual. I had not thought about the Minneapolis-St. Paul area at all. My husband and I were like, oh, Mary Tyler Moore, okay, let's go check it out. Yeah. And I came here and I loved the area and I loved the people and I, I loved the station. I just thought the news here at all of the stations was really, really good. So Yeah, yeah. so she gets the call, she comes <laughs> really? here, yeah, and start working with Carol Levin. Okay, so for those 24 years you did the morning show, mm -hmm. you were on the air from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Yeah, it started out as a 6 a.m. show, and then it seemed like every five years they decided everybody was getting up earlier and earlier, and I'm like, no, they're not, they're really not. And so we got up early, um, and it got to 4.30. Luckily, I never had to do that 4.30. Oh, really? They start the show at 4.30? Yeah, all the stations here start at 4.30. Who is listening at, who is watching TV at 4.30? Raise your hand. Is anybody, anybody, Who's my point? Oh, there's one back there. One back there. Well, you have one. You had one viewer. Okay. <laughs> so, so then they thought 4:30. No, not for that one person. So then they moved it back to five. Um, it starts at 4:30, but yeah. I came on at five. Yeah. So a different person did the 4:30, and then and then Tim and I would come on. Oh, at five. oh and then you come at five. So you had to get up at what time to be on the air? At five? I got up at uh, 10 to two right. every morning. Doesn't that sound like fun? Which yeah. is interesting to me. You told me that earlier, and I thought, not two, not 1:45. No. <laughs> 150, 10 to 2. So I'm sure you probably started getting up at 2 and the thought, no, I just need that 10 extra minutes for my yoga workout right. or <laughs> that extra something to, you know, iron my something. You right? have it timed out by the minute. I'm I had sure. everything laid out the night before, everything timed out by the minute. No, I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay, but see, here's the thing. You now say you sleep into like what four? And you don't get up at one fifteen anymore. You get up at four or five or something. Five like ten. Five ten. <laughs> okay, but truth be okay. But see, I'm a Twitter follower of yours. Thank you. I'm often still awake she at is. two or three in the morning. It's just the way she it is. is. You know what I'm gonna say? I get tweets from you. I know you can schedule those things. I get that, but I don't think that's what's happening. I think you're up at two in the morning and you are tweeting. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, you are wrong. You I are don't wrong. think so. No. I think she's going, oh, I sleep in now. I sleep in. She said, not. I don't sleep in anymore. So uh, during, uh, you were telling me during your 24 years of anchoring mm -hmm. that you did at one point start this, um, this uh, series. What's what, cool in our schools. What's cool in our schools and ended up winning in a regional Emmy. It did? Yeah, tell us about that. That went on for about 10 years. You did that once a week, right? Yeah, I was... Um, Schools were getting uh, bad-mouthed a lot. I, my father was an educator, and so this was the time of the Jesse Ventura administration, and I think he just wasn't too keen on his experience with public schools or schooling. And so there would be a lot of negative talk about schools and teachers. I love schools and teachers. And I thought, what a great thing to go out and talk and highlight things that are working in schools, whether it's an individual teacher in a classroom or a district or a school itself. And so I would go out every week and I would do positive stories about our schools and I loved it. And it also got me into all of these schools in the, in the area. And I got to see every stage that my kids were in too. So I always knew what was coming down the pike. You know, I could speak with authority. Well, in fifth grade, this is gonna happen. And they thought I was a genius, but it was a great way to get myself behind the scenes, which is why you go into journalism, right? Yeah, to yeah. learn stuff. Yeah. And you were telling me that you started to shoot and edit those pieces mm -hmm. yourself. Um, as as uh, media has had to wrestle with the change of things and a smaller slice of the pie, 
budgets grew smaller, mm -hmm. and equipment changed as well. So now TV stations very rarely hire a reporter. They hire a multimedia journalist who does it all. Oh. So when you see that they're bringing in people who know how to shoot and edit, you darn well better get out there and learn how to shoot and edit, right? So yeah. that's what I did. I'm a control freak, so it was the best thing ever. So I would shoot and edit my stories, and I loved it. Yeah, I know, and I was asking her about this. It's like, how did you get yourself in the shot? And he's like, we, no, we have tripods. Can, yeah. Tripod. But you still have to kind of go on one side, then you go on the other side, you go on one side. There's a lot of guessing. Yeah. yeah. I would be doing that all day, it would drive myself nuts. Um, okay, so, um, okay. So on Friday, October 20th, 2017. She got the date. Two years into your current, at the time, through your contract. Yeah. You were released from Care 11. I was told that I was no longer going to be doing the morning show, yes. Yeah. And you're going to be taking out the trash instead, or what was it you're going to be doing? <laughs> shooting. You're going to uh, shoot. There would not necessarily be a job, yes. Right. And this was a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yes and no. Because, all right, you've worked in, in the entertainment field. I have. So many parts for actresses over the age of 40, right? Um, TV and probably radio, to some extent, is, is uh, a young person's game, or so we think. Um, and I think if you're long enough in TV, or if you're long enough in anything where you're in front of people, and you're female, um, you expect that at some point that might happen. It's a possibility. It's a risk. And I, I didn't ask why. I am not drawing a line back to that, not by any means. Um, but. It was not, it was more like a script playing out the way that you think, yeah, that could happen. And so, oh, so you feel like the, the script that you might have imagined did come to life? It's like... I felt like being a woman who was over 50 at the time, that that was always a possibility for anybody. And, and I hear men for say... For any it, women, you mean? You know what? I hear men say that, too. In business, I hear men say that. Not as much. Well... <laughs> But here, here's my question for you. So you, you didn't ask because you didn't want to know why or you didn't? Two reasons. I felt very secure in what I, had, what I brought to it. Yeah. You know, I feel like you should always bring 100%. And I'm not saying that everybody would necessarily agree with that. Of course, you're going to have people say, yes, she could have done a little bit more. I felt comfortable with She could have gotten up at 145. <laughs> But no, no, 150, that's I where she drew the line. I felt that I brought to, to the job what I needed to bring. Um, I felt comfortable in, in my abilities. Of course. And I also know that in the world of HR, it's not necessarily that you're going to be told the, the real reason why. Yeah. So or it's not even Yeah, or it's not even legal to tell you the real reason why. That can I don't be. Know. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't know. Um, and also, I had planned in my mind that at the end of that contract, I wanted to leave anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that this was the, the, the boot out the door, time to get moving. Didn't want to sit there and, and play, oh, poor me. I wanted to get on with my life. And so I did. I, yeah, I, I, which is terrific. That's just terrific. But, okay, let's just say, let's just say hypothetically. Yeah. You, you, were, you were 57 at the time? 56. 56? I, I, I was in my 50s. Okay. I still Later have. 50s. Yeah, okay. Let's just say, okay, let's just say that age had something to do with it. Um, 
your co-host was male and was your, around your same age. And there's the whole thing about the demographics and it's like, oh, we're changing things, that kind of stuff. So I, it's like, why does the woman have to go and not the man? And I'm not trying to go down, we're not, we're not going to the dark side. That's just a question I have. So if age was maybe part, part of the reason, it wasn't anything you did wrong, you didn't, yeah, you didn't not dress well, you didn't, you didn't come unprepared, none of that kind of thing. So how did that feel to think, well, I've been here a long time, this is inevitable, like you were just saying, this might be inevitable as a woman in the business at this age, the age range, mm -hmm. this might be inevitable. How does that feel? I think any time that First of all, I, I would never want to work for somebody or someplace that didn't want me yeah. there. True. So Amen. I will be the first to exit yeah. when someone indicates that's what I should do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it didn't, it felt surreal. Mm -hmm. I think anytime somebody finds that they no longer have a situation or job or whatever that they have become used to, it feels surreal. I felt like, like my arms and legs were actually tingling and someone said it's because you're untethered you feel untethered yeah. and I thought yeah that's pretty much it so I felt untethered um, I knew that I needed to get on with my life and and it was great unknown right mm -hmm. and um, I think when you are of you know when you're middle-aged and you're trying to make a transition or move on do something different I had a fear how am I going to be received out there in the world and I am happy to report um, I was received well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to go online. Or it's online and Facebook, I think. So the afternoon, that afternoon, mm -hmm. you get this news. That afternoon, you post this video, this like three-minute video of you walking around. She's walking around familiar places, the Twin Cities, and she's... she's delivering this video love letter to your coworkers and your viewers and, and, and I ask you, and it's beautifully shot and, and it's just hours after you found out and how on earth could you do that and not be emotional? Magic of television. Um, because you always see signs on the wall, right? You, there are always hints. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always in the back of your mind, if, if, if this happens, how would I handle this? Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to say farewell to the people who had watched for so many years. It's an intimate relationship when people get up that early to watch you. Yeah, yeah it really is. <laughs> um, and I wanted to have some control over how I would say goodbye. Mm -hmm. So that was always something that was kind of in the back of my mind. Oh, it's, it's, I'm just, or what's really curious to me is it's a selfie. So she's got her phone. phone out there and she's walking around and it's beautifully framed. <laughs> Obviously she knows what she's doing. And, and the fact that it was done hours later, and, but you were telling me that you have some kind of fancy stick it's, on your phone and you can... It's called a gimbal and, okay. it, and it's just something that gyrates so that it maintains control over, your, over whatever camera is in it so it doesn't jostle around. Um, but see, I learned how to shoot and edit, so I could do those things. I know. <laughs> you could videotape your own farewell message. I could. It's, well, anyway, it's, it's beautiful. I get emotional when I see it because I, you know, I know that this has just happened, and I'm just thinking, look at this control and this sense of grace and this sense of power that you, that you have in this moment to say, uh, I sort of see it as 
being in control of the of the narrative. It's like, okay, uh, the newspaper the next day is going to say abruptly left or dumped or, or whatever they say because they're looking for some sort of, you know, sensational thing to say. And you're saying you're taking the high road. It looks like you're yeah. taking the high road and you're saying, I'm, I'm going to turn this around on you people and I'm going to tell you right now. It was great 24 years. I loved everybody I worked with. Thank you for viewing. Yeah, and I didn't want to be negative. I don't, yeah. you know, there's no negativity toward what happened. There's no negativity toward anything other than to say thank you for the opportunity. And I feel like there are far more serious things in the world. You know, we've all been through harder things. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, it was not the end of the world. So I didn't want to treat it that way. And the media in town were actually very, very kind. Um, and my former colleagues were very, very kind. So, uh, you know, I, I continue to feel lucky. Okay, you went on to, uh, to work for Meet Minneapolis. I did. So One of my very, former colleagues is right there. Very quickly. So, uh, so tell me about that. So, so you just, you jump from that, okay, fine, here's the video, see ya, bye. And sleeping until four. And then you, uh, you started working for, and then the Super Bowl. They, they had just finished up the Super Bowl, they so just started up the right Super after Bowl. that, so I got to be involved with the Final Four and the X Games, and that was a ton of fun, and conventions in town, and being downtown and, and being connected to all the businesses and the teams and whatnot was just wonderful. And how were you taking your skills, your broadcast skills, and putting them towards sort of this convention bureau PR stuff? How did, how did how, how was that switch? I think just understanding a little bit more about the media than maybe somebody else would oh, okay, sure. is yeah. an important skill set. As you're a, com a communicator is, is a communicator, right? So what is the story? You're a storyteller in television. You're mm -hmm. a storyteller. Uh, businesses all want to have their story told. So they need good storytellers, and that's kind of what the germ is that everybody's interested in. Okay, so in that, in that job, so let's just say this, you know, you have to have nice hair, nice nails, and all that kind of stuff for, for being on television. Do you still feel like you have to do that? I mean, not that you're going to show up in sweats. Did she show up in sweats? She probably showed up in sweats. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying... It, is there, is, there, is there that difference that's like, oh, well, now I don't need to worry about that so A lot much. of places it's dressed for your day. So I always took, you know, if you think, if there's a chance that you might be on TV, you need to be yeah. able to, to look appropriate at sure. the appropriate time. Yeah. Um, now I work at a company called Digital River, which is much more casual. I'm not going to be on TV, so I might look a little scruffy some days going into work, which is wonderful. I, I don't have a wardrobe for that, right? It's like I didn't oh, know but... how to do that. I, I I had to get rid of my work clothes. Yeah, was that freeing? Was there something that was was there something freeing about that? Yeah, but I didn't want to spend any more money on casual clothes. I'd already spent too much oh, right, money right, on right. clothes in my right, lifetime, right, 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 so I'm right, kind right. of weaning, weaning myself off that wardrobe. No, I well, I just think that's great. So you're so tell us what you're doing at Digital River. Uh, corporate public relations, yeah. and it's kind of a wild west feel uh, because it is a it's a tech tech company. And it's tremendous fun. I get to dip my paws into a lot of different pots, and I'm enjoying it very much. It's all, it's all about e-commerce, so it's shopping. Who doesn't like shopping, right? Yeah, right. Well, you, obviously, because yeah. you're not buying clothes for the thing. <laughs> okay, so then you decide, well, tell me what happened. You have a podcast. Yes. You have a podcast. We have it's a podcast three with women two friends. And a bottle of wine. And, oh, wait. 
Oh, look who's coming up here. Well, hello, This is one Kim. of her podcasts. This is Lynn oh. Milling. Hi. This is Lynn Milling, yes. And, and Lynn... I'm not worthy. I don't feel worthy to be on this stage right now. No, you're totally worthy. And just pull that up so you don't Lynn have to... Lynn is a former yeah, journalist. So Lynn yes. was an anchor in Des Moines, Iowa. Covered a lot of the uh, political stuff that goes yeah. on down there. And yeah. she called me up in the middle of the day one day and said, mm-hmm. you, you're you a former journalist, so am yeah. I. Let's get together. Well, Fish out of water. Yep. How long ago was this? This was just... Months ago. Oh, when we started the podcast? Yeah. About a year ago, exactly. In okay. fact, Facebook reminded me of that the other day. Really? Something yeah. Like and that. so the podcast is called, again, it's called Three Women in a Bottle of Wine. And, and tell us what it's about. And the third woman. Third Julie woman Bartke is, yes. is our third, and she's recovering from hip surgery. She's amazing. She's a trooper, yeah. She's a former journalist as well. She is, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was three, three of us former journalists. Yeah, we were having beer, and we thought... We miss interviewing people. That was the thing we really loved about journalism. And so we thought, what the heck, let's, we had some gear and we decided just to start. And it was really liberating. It was really freeing. Um, it was kind of a creative outlet and it's just been a ton of fun. And we've, we've gotten to interview some really great people and Sue Scott being our first oh, guest, oh, I was by the way, which oh, was, was so huge. to be on the show. Yes. Right? That was a big thrill for me being a Prairie Home Companion fan my whole life. They do really, they, you go to a restaurant, seriously, <laughs> yeah. and you order wine. And We're very classy. There's microphones on the table, and then you talk. Mm-hmm. How fun That's is it. that? Sue was great. How fun is that? Three yeah. women, a bottle of wine, and Sue Scott was amazing. Well, it's fine. The whole thing is funny. All your guests are, are, are really interesting and, and diverse. and It's so fascinating to me that, um, that you guys, how you guys met. It was sort of like, hey, you're a former journalist. I'm a former <laughs> journalist. Let's do a podcast. Yeah, well, it's a weird thing when you leave TV news. It's such, it's, I, I compare it to being in the military. It's, you speak a different language. Yeah. It's a whole different culture. And then you leave it and you feel like this, you're in no man's land. You don't quite fit in anymore in TV, but you don't really fit in anywhere else either. And so I was trying to find my tribe and I emailed poor Kim because I knew she'd just left TV news too. And I'm like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Let's have lunch. I don't know anybody else in this position. And um, I think we yeah, should all do great. that. You just call up somebody, hey, you want to be my friend? It was, it was Let's great. Let's have beer. Let's have a podcast. Yeah. Let's just do that. So yeah, check it out. Three women and a bottle of wine. And it's wherever you get your podcasts, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they say. Thank you, Lynn, for filling us in on oh, that. Really you. appreciate it. Appreciate I'm it. honored. And thank you. Thank you. Kim. It's, it's so great to know that, you, that you, you, had, you had embraced that for so many years, and now you're embracing all these new things, and you're getting more sleep, and you're, uh, you're just doing so well, and, 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 just, and nobody is uh, controlling you. Nobody is keeping you down, and you were just... You got that right. Yes. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> Kim Inslee, everybody. Thank you. Kim thank Inslee. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, that's our show. Again, thank you to Kim Inslee and Lynn Melling. And I want to thank our cast, Day Yang and Nancy Backshaw Reasoner. And thank you to Michelle Myers Berg for jumping in. And our guest singer songwriter, Simone Perrin. And tonight's episode was written by Nancy Day, Sue, and Simone. And engineered by our uh, lovely male allies, Barry Medore and Tony Axtell. Thanks to our volunteers, Suzanne Egley and Carolyn Ward-Denton, and to Lynn Gordon and the amazing staff here at the North Social Hall. And we will be back next month for another live Island of Discarded Women. Thank you, everybody. I'm Sue Scott. Yeah.